Amen. All right. I guess we will just go back to the book of Job then this afternoon. The Lord willing, we will see a little more of the lesson that Job understood from Elihu and then of God. The book of Job is uh, very interesting. Back to 33. That uh, I can remember when I was, I guess I must have been eight years old, and I was up with my Aunt Sarah, Uncle Bill's place, and had an appendicitis attack, and had my appendix out, and uh, they sent me a Bible from our Sunday school class down in Pearson's Chapel. And it tickled me to death just to get, you know, get that Bible. And I opened it up and I started reading the book of Job. But I didn't read it very long because it just did not mean it. I couldn't understand what was going on there. And I think that is uh, pretty typical of most people when they try to read the Bible. They just don't get anything out of it. And so you can hardly blame them if they don't read it. Now, you know, you get up older and you read even the Bible. It's like the Proverbs. You can read the Proverbs and you can get a lot of practical information out of the book of Proverbs. Same way with the book of Ecclesiastes. But to really understand, the book of Ecclesiastes is not all that terribly easy to to really comprehend what is being said there and understand the, the purpose of God in it, how it relates to God. The book of Job is much like that also, and... Uh, and that's what we're we're looking at here. But, you know, the whole Word of God is that way. I mean, it's not that it's so complicated to read, but it is a mystery to understand, except according to the will and the purpose of God. God hides Himself. Did you know that? In fact, he hides himself in the thick darkness. Now, again, it's not that God is not known. When it says in the thick darkness, uh, does that mean literally? I don't think so because God is a spirit and no man can has ever seen God anyway. But what it simply means is that as far as the mind of man is concerned, he may as well be in the thickest of the thick darkness. What is it that Jesus said? If the light that be in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? So that's what we're uh, entertaining here. And that's what it means when God said that He speaks once, yea, twice, yet 
man perceiveth it not. Uh, that's the way the, the most of the people of Israel were. Uh, God spoke to them, yes, over and over and over. I believe we were talking about that earlier, how many times he, he called himself the, the God of Israel. Uh, but they didn't they they did not perceive that. Uh, they understood it not. And so what did they do? They worshiped idols. But isn't a man's mind, isn't his heart really darkened? I mean really, really darkened. If he would worship a tree? Well, it made a lot of sense. They could cut the tree down, hew it out, make a figure. And make it heat with the, stay warm with the With the residue and cook cook with it. Yeah, it had lots of good practical use to yeah. it for it, didn't it? But as far as it doing them any good spiritually, it was detrimental to them. But to worship a tree or worship a stone or anything that is created rather than the creator is quite foolish, isn't it? Yeah, even God, when He had them to erect a memorial, and He said, plaster it right on them. Yeah. Put the word on them. Yeah. So here we are. God, He speaks once or twice. It doesn't matter how many times a man perceives it not. So if God in His wisdom and in His intentions to humble man, He reveals to man what He would have him to know, what we He would have us to know. He reveals it in His own good time and His own good way and that by the Holy Ghost. And so we come down to verse 23. Uh, God, has, His purpose, again, is to keep man from the pit. Verse 20, I mean, verse 18. He keepeth back his soul from the pit. And his life from perishing by the sword. So, uh, and again, the sword here represents uh, the the wrath of God. So here is what it's all about: it's to save his people. It's to bring his people actually up out of the pit. Uh, as the psalmist said in one place, he said, You have brought me out of the miry clay and set my feet on the rock. So this is what it's all about. So how is that going to be accomplished? Verse 22, he says, Yea, his soul draweth nigh or near unto the grave and his life to the destroyers. And then he says, If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, 
one among a thousand to show unto man his uprightness, then he is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Uh, Once again, uh, no matter what God has to do in order to save your soul, it's worth it, isn't it? What is the pit, by the way, that he's talking about here? He's not talking about just a little hole in the ground. What he's talking about here is hell itself. That's the pit. It's hell itself. And no matter what you have to endure, and God is the only one that knows what you have to endure in order to bring you up out of that pit. He's the only one that knows what has to be done to bring you to repentance. Now, again, here we're not talking about regeneration. Remember, Job was a just man... Job was already regenerated. But here we find it's very much similar again to the Apostle Peter. Remember that, uh, uh, oh, Peter said, Though all men forsake thee, I will never forsake thee. Bold words, right? But Jesus says, Get be behind me Satan first of all thou desirest not the things of God but he said that he Satan desired to have him that he might sift him as a grain of wheat but he said I've prayed for you I've prayed for you and he said after thou art converted right Isn't that amazing? But Peter was already, quote, saved, unquote. But he still had to be converted, didn't he? Yeah. He had to be cleansed, sanctified, purified. Uh, He had to be brought to the place just like Job Again, Job said, I've heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes see. Job had to see God, and so do we. Who was it? Uh, uh, Think of my name now. Was it Philip that said, Show us the Father? And uh, that suffices us. <laughs> but Jesus said, Philip, have you not seen me? Have I been so long with you and you've not seen me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
And if you've seen the Father, then you've seen Jesus, haven't you? Uh, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. So, uh, in in that Lord, the real Lord's Prayer in the 17th chapter of John, Jesus says several times, I and the Father are one. We're one. So you, you, you're going to have to see God, and that's where we walk by faith and not by sight comes in. Somebody can convince you, if somebody can convince you, that there is no God, then it's because that you never have seen God. What if you uh, saw somebody walking down the street and somebody else come along later on and said, have you ever seen this fellow? And you say, yes, I've seen him. And they say, no, you haven't seen him. They couldn't convince you that you hadn't seen him, have they? If you if you've really seen him, they couldn't convince you that you have not seen him. But if you've ever seen God, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, then nobody I don't care how hard they try, nor what what they use to try to convince you that you haven't seen God, they cannot do that. It's an impossibility to do that. Now, there are going to be, there already are, and there are going to be many that are going to be convinced that there is no God. Who that's going to be, again, we do not know. Now, that's the warning, though, in that 24th chapter of Matthew, for instance. Uh, there'll be many false Christs and false apostles who would deceive the very elect if that were possible. There's going to be strong, strong, strong delusions, if you will, that are going to be presented to God's people. And there already are, aren't there? You are constantly bombarded with this idea of evolution, for instance. Uh, and they've got, they've got all kinds of facts but they aren't really facts, are they? Their theories, their man's ideas, man's imagination, but they teach them as though they were the absolute truth. And if you are not one of God's people, all of these things that are going to come about are going to convince you that you that there is no God of course the strange thing is 
that all these people that are going to be convinced that there is no God is going to worship a God. Just like the Israelites again. They did not believe God, but they believed Baal. And who's Baal? He's a false god. He was no god at all. But they still worshipped him instead of the living God. So here we are. If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter. There has to be an interpreter. What is an interpreter? Uh, Again, when I'm preaching many times in the Philippines... I can't uh, uh, speak their language. They can't understand mine. We have somebody like Brother Obian. And he is interpreting. He's not translating so much as he is interpreting. And one of the reasons that that Brother Obian and myself work so well together was that that the message that he was preaching was so much exactly the same thing that I was saying, only he was saying it in not only in their language, but he was saying it in uh, uh, their what is the term that I'm trying to use. Uh, their vernacular he was he was saying it in, in other words in a in a cultural way that that they could fully understand what i was trying to convey to them in other words he was able to convey Just speaking in good old east Texas. yeah right <laughs> Uh, that's, that's about the best way to, to say it. Only he was speaking in good old Filipino uh, language, whatever it was. But but that's what an, an interpreter is, and that's what the Holy Ghost does for us. And it's what the Holy Ghost must do for us. Otherwise, the words of this book... Will just be really nothing to you. Nothing to us. Uh, it'll just be a. It'll just be a language thing. It will be no more than reading the morning newspaper. But if there be an interpreter. But that's again the reason that we who preach the Word of God, we cannot take credit for it. If anybody is blessed by the preaching of the Word, it better not be because of the preacher. It better be because God 
has sent the Holy Ghost to interpret that word that's being preached. Now, we do need to be careful that we use the Word of God. We need to be careful to use the Word that God has printed, had printed, for instance, right here in this book. But just that is not enough. There has to be an interpreter. And that's the, that's the force of the way this, this 23rd verse begins. If. There's, there's no sure thing. That when the word is preached. That it's going to be understood by those that hear it. And that it's going to be believed by those that hear it. Now it's true, and again, all at least far back as I can remember, I've you know heard that preach. My word shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that purpose for which I've sent it. But I've heard that preached as though every time you preach the word that. It's going to get people saved. Now, the Apostle Paul does tell us in 2 Corinthians, that second chapter, that, that we are always triumphant. Mm-hmm. We're doing what the Lord purposes. Exactly. Exactly what he purposes. But we're preaching and yes, one of two things is going to happen. It's either going to be believed or it's going to be rejected. But that's the apostle's whole point there in that second chapter of Second Corinthians when he talks about being always triumphant. Because he says our preaching is has two savers to it. Yeah. Some to life, some to death. Uh, one or the other, but it's again all to the purpose of God. And no wonder the apostle ends that second chapter there with the words, who is sufficient for these things? But it's if. If there be. Now, if there is an interpreter, then what? Then... It will show, he will show, God will show unto man his uprightness. Then he is gracious unto him, right? And saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. So why doesn't 
everybody believe that God has provided a ransom for them. I'm telling you, yep, there is there is a ransom. God, Jesus Christ is the ransom. Why doesn't everybody believe that? But they, they didn't believe it, did they? They they could not believe that that God had provided a ransom for them. Yes, that's what we've been saying all along. It's 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 the interpreter. It's the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. It's just like in the fourth chapter of of Hebrews. Here in verse 1, he says, So let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it, Right? right? Yeah. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath. Do what, JT? I said, yeah, they remain the Yeah, they remain the rest. But they did not believe. That's the key, isn't it? John six twenty nine. He says, "This is the work of God." Right. He has sinned. It is the work of God. And again, in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John, he says, "Ye search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have salvation." And they are they which testify of me, but you will not come unto me. You see, that was, that was the most of the Jews' problem. They had, as, well, Abraham, uh, Paul asked the question, what advantage then hath the Jew? And then he answers in much in every way. Because unto them was given the oracles of God. Well, what are the oracles of God? Well, it's His Word. It? It's, this, it's the Bible. They had the Bible as it was in those days which spoke of Jesus. What was it that Jesus taught those disciples after He was raised from the dead? It was Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, right? And it was all of it talking about Jesus. So if... If there be 
a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness. Then, not before, but then, he is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. And then what's going to happen? Now up here in verses, for instance, 18, 19, and actually through 22, uh, what a picture. He is chastened also with pain upon his bed, and the multitude of his bones with strong pain. So that his life abhors bread, his soul abhors dainty food or meat, his flesh is consumed away. Uh, you ladies want to really go on a diet? I guarantee you, if you get really get under the conviction of God, you won't have a problem losing weight. You'll lose it. Why? Well, Bruce is always saying, you know, it amounts to how many calories you take in and how many you 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 uh, use up, right? If you use more than you take in, what happens? You're going to lose weight. Well, most of us, most of us say, "Well, you know, I, I just, I, I'm just not losing any weight. I'm just, I'm not eating." And I, but we are eating. You have to be. And if you don't believe that, just look in these pictures of the Holocaust, uh, where those people. There wasn't a one of them. Wasn't a not a, not a not a single one that was fat in there, no right? Didn't matter if they went in fat or not. It wasn't long until they were skinny. Yeah, it's something a little different, right? Uh, I see all these folks now. They're hungry, and they're all fat. Yep, they're all fat. <laughs> and, and so what? You know they ain't very hungry. Now they may not they may not be eating uh, T-bone steaks and and filet mignons and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. The dainty foods are, in it, but but they're not they're not hungry. It's obvious that they're they're not hungry. Well, there there was a time uh, that I had to force myself to eat, and yeah, I, I got down to where I was nothing but really skin and bones. But here's here's the thing: uh, when God brings a person to repentance. There's peace that comes. And it's a peace that passeth knowledge. And it's a and so here is his flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days 
of his youth. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him, and he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto man his righteousness. He will render under man his, God's, righteousness. Now, again, life is in righteousness. Life is not in a professed righteousness. Life is in righteousness. We can say that we're righteous, and that's what most people are doing today. They're saying that they are righteous, and their basis for that is that they're saying, have been taught that all they have to do is say, I believe in Jesus, and they are counted as righteous. Now when the Bible says that God counted righteousness unto Abraham, it does not mean the same thing that people are trying to convey today and get people to believe there is a real, actual, evidenced uh, uh lived righteousness there is an experimental righteousness now again I know that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak I understand that but yet there is a righteousness the spirit of God anyone that is born of the Spirit of God is born into righteousness. That's what I, 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 I'm, I'm saying when I go back and, and, and the psalmist says that, that God will not impute unto him iniquity. We talk about imputed righteousness all the time And they, again, give the impression that imputed righteousness is not real righteousness, but it is just that Jesus is righteous and it's imputed to us. It's just put on our account. His righteousness is put on our account. Well, Jesus did die for our sins. There's no question about that. But he, and I've said this many times, he died for us vicariously. What does that mean? It means that he stood in our place. And he died for our sins vicariously. Our sins were put upon him. The punishment, the punishment. It's not just the sins, but it's the punishment of those sins were put upon him. And he became the vicarious carrier 
of those sins. But He does not live for us vicariously. His Spirit abides within us, the Holy Ghost. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost, but that does not mean that He is living our life. What it is, is that we are living His life. And yes, that life is imputed to us, but if God will not impute sin to some, it does mean that He will impute sin to others. And He does impute sin to others. But... What is that? Is If he imputes sin to someone, does that mean that, uh, that he, he's just, uh, in, in mentally speaking so, that he's imputing sin to them? No. He's imputing sin to them because they're real sinners. It's because they commit sins. But the same way it is with the imputation of righteousness, He imputes righteousness to us because we are really living a righteous life. Yes, it's a wonderful, excellent verse, but they still do not understand it as it is meant to be understood. Why? Because there's no interpreter. Yes, but He really does it. He really gives us Life. He gives us eternal life. But what do they think? That once we get to heaven, that then we'll live righteously? Or do they still think that we get to heaven and we're still going to be sinners up there? We have this precious gift, but it, yes, it's a gift of God. But it's the gift of the Holy Ghost. We are born of the Spirit of God. And so that the, the Holy Ghost interprets these things to us, for us. And that's much of what He means when He talks about how that He, he prays for us. Right? Romans chapter 8. Likewise, verse 26, likewise the Spirit also, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
And so we know, that's the reason that we know, that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to His purpose. Right? But there must be this interpreter. And there will be this interpreter if we are the elect of God. Yeah. And they can't understand it, can they? But this is why it's by the foolishness of preaching that men are called it has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that do not believe that'll make them believe right yeah just read that for the first time yeah yeah it's it's not to save them that do not believe it's to save them which do believe it won't do a thing for a person that does not believe because there's been no interpreter we're going to have to hurry here right right quick we're about to through here but uh, at least we'll quit <laughs> um, again he shall pray unto God and he will be favorable unto him and he shall see his face with joy for he will render unto man his righteousness he looketh upon men and if any say I have sinned and perverted that which was right and it profiteth me not you see this is true repentance This is again not just saying I repent. It's not just saying, oh well, I'm I'm sorry. Most people they say that because why? Because they got caught. But a true child of God, he's not saying it because he got caught. He's saying it because he has been convicted and convinced of the Holy Ghost that what he has done is unholy. It's not according to righteousness. And again, no, nobody can repent that does not understand what has just been said right here. Nobody can repent until he's brought to the place where he has said, I have sinned. Well, you've got to have a schoolmaster. And that's the Holy Ghost, isn't it? He is the interpreter. One of the first things that we were taught when we were talking to those teaching us about the seven laws of teaching was that you can't teach that which you don't know. 
seems like a simple statement, but, but it's a profound statement. But how many people are out there trying to teach people something that they don't know? What did JT used to say? If people come into the, the plumbing school down there and you'd have to unteach them? That's the main thing, is unteaching them. Well, it's the same thing in the church, isn't it, today? If you get one in, you've got to unteach more than you have to teach him. You can't teach him anything, in fact, until you un teaching because they've been filled so full of this garbage that's on television and radio and everything else that all these zealots are out there evangelizing and they haven't got a clue so Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, he looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited thee not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. So lo, all these things worketh who? God, oftentimes with man, to bring his soul back, or bring back his soul from the pit to be enlightened with the light of the living. So mark well, O Job, hearken unto me hold thy peace now what are we to be swift to do speak yeah swift to hear but what about speaking slow you you do realize that when you're speaking, you're probably not learning anything. Now, it may be, if you really know something, you may be imparting knowledge. But what we really need is not so much to impart knowledge as to receive it. Now, just like there is a a time for every purpose under the sun there is a time to speak alright enough but most of the time it's time to shut up it's time to listen we ought to be more like Habakkuk I will stand upon my watch or my tower and watch to see Yeah, what the Lord says, and watch for what He says. Yeah, and what I shall answer when I am asked to expound something. No, it's when I'm asked, when I am reproved, 
I will stand upon my tower and watch to see what the Lord has said and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Well, what did Job answer when he was reproved? He said, I'll say no more. Except that I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. If thou hast anything to say, answer me. Speak. For I desire to justify thee. If not, hearken unto me. Hold thy peace and I shall teach thee wisdom. Dear beloved, we cannot learn anything when we are speaking if we haven't already learned it, we're not going to learn it. But when we're hearing, then we can become doers, not speakers of the word, but doers, right? Of the word. Oh, may the Lord send. His interpreter that we really know God. But how will it be known that we know God? If we become doers of the Word. Not hearers, but doers. We'll know that we've heard the word when we become doers of the word. Up until that point, you'll know always a person. That's right. It all comes back then to what we do, right? More than what we say.